Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. I missed you last week. Yeah, it t- took a little breather last week, and now we're back at it because now we got some spicy POV stuff to talk about. Yeah, and I mean, in the hiatus, Bitcoin went from like 43K to uh, 60K and then now back to 56K. I think Ether, what, traversed like almost back down to 1,000 and then uh, I guess not that much, no, like 1,400. It, the, uh, lowest, how, how... the lowest it got was 1,297. And I know yeah. that number very specifically because I kept on saying to all my friends w- without completely knowing the truth, obviously, I don't know the future, but I kept on saying like below 14, below 1300s, like isn't, it doesn't exist. You can't actually go there. And so we went down to 1297 and then just yeeted right back out. And I was like, wow, that was, that was, that was probably the biggest like claim about the future state of the markets I've ever made. It actually just been like fucking nailed it. It was pretty cool. It's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> There's no, I have no reason why I can't chalk that one up to luck. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I have been lucky with calls and then I've been unlucky with calls and not talked about it. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've tried to do when I, when I actually like want to position myself to be able to have bragging rights is like usually I'll make calls and I'll just make them silently because I'm not a trader I don't really care to like brag about my trades but sometimes they're like uh when I when I uh I went tits out leverage at 1490 and while I did first I did that privately then the next day I I DM'd Sazzle about it Anthony Sazano I was like yo going tits out tits out leverage at 1490 uh and and the fact that like I did it but then also said it to someone makes it like that much cooler because we're in the fucking green now so if, you know you get you both get like a you have more money and b you have bragging rights only slightly in the green well I mean I, I think it's de- for being leveraged it's, it's in the green yeah no I mean it's just uh, we saw that volatility, man. We, you, you never know where it's gonna go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people. Every, it's so funny. Every single time that like Bitcoin and Ether and all, and it it, it takes a dump, like thirty percent does one of its thirty thirty percent dumps. Which I guess it's only really done like two of these in the past like six months or so. But every single time, people are like, "Oh man, like it could be over. Like this this could be it. It could turn around at any moment." And I'm like, "Fuck that!" Like, if you think this is over, this is fucking bullshit. We're going so no, much no. higher than this. It's it's <laughs> absolutely not over. I was actually just talking to someone today, um, our, our good friend Checkmate, and he was like, "Oh, the on chain indicators looking a lot like the end of 2017." I'm like, "Dude, no, come on, right. no, <laughs> come on." And and really, what I'm saying is, you just gotta be careful with the leverage because right. you know this shit's volatile. Right, I don't yeah. know when it's going to end, but I know it's volatile. And that's why, personally, I just prefer to buy and hold spot, not right. be greedy. I guess, okay, but I mean, you know, maybe I'm just letting letting up on a valuable opportunity in front of me. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm curious for you, like, what's like your comfort level around like using leverage? Like, how much mm-hmm. do you think about the price when you do it? Like, what what, what goes through your head? So the, the process that I've done so far this cycle, which I did not ha- even have the option to do last cycle because DeFi wasn't a thing last cycle, is that like, and I see this in a lot of my friends who this is th- their first cycle as well, is like, they'll compare alts like, oh, like, you know, do I want to be in this alt versus that alt? I'm like, oh, I'll trade, I'm going to trade some Ether for some Uni tokens or Uni tokens for MKR tokens. And then, and then like that changes your psychology because of what you had to denominate 
get your purchase in, right? Did you sell ETH to get that or did you sell X to get that, right? Like what set, what asset did you sell to move into that trade? But if you just sell dollars to get into the trade, then you don't care. And so leverage or not, I guess it's always leverage, but like just borrowing USDC from Compound and Aave to take a position in a DeFi token or an altcoin or whatever, the ease of mind, even though it's leverage, which is not supposed, people don't usually associate like leverage with ease of mind, even though it's leverage, the ease of mind from just being short the dollar and long the token rather than like short ETH long the token because I sold ETH to go into the token. It's just a weight off my shoulders. Like I don't have to think in like, oh, well, I don't have to denominate in anything other than the dollar. And the dollar is a great thing to denominate a short position on in, in relationship with all these tokens that are going up into the right. Okay. I mean, that I'm glad I asked the question because that makes a ton of sense, right? You want to express a short dollar position. You have all this collateral that you don't want to quote unquote sell when you sell ETH and you sell Bitcoin to buy something else. You, you know, you're trading that and anticipating for that something else to outperform it. And so you can cut with leverage, you can have your cake and eat it too to some degree. Obviously, right. you add on the vol, like the risk yeah. that comes attached to volatility, but um, you can express your position more accurately, if you will. Right. So like I, I, I see so much in like these, these group chats that I'm in with, with old college buddies about like, oh, like, you know, this token pumped 30% and I sold, I sold this token to get that token. And, and they're, they're just comparing tokens all the fucking time. And I'm like, I just doesn't, I don't really care about any of it because like uh, all of my buys and sells are against the dollar, which, you know, in my, in my theory of the market, so long as you hold on enough for enough time in a bull market, you're going to be okay. Like the, so long as you can weather the volatility, the time is on your side. So how do you moderate your, your leverage to kind of make sure that you uh, don't get liquidated? Uh, that's a good question. Well, my, my personal plan is to be pretty fucking risk on until 4K ETH and then have zero leverage around 4K ETH and then around 6 to 10K ETH is when I actually do start rotating out of leverage into dollars. Uh, and start taking on a long dollar position. Um, and so I'm pretty fucking like, I'm, I, I'm pretty risky, I would say with my portfolio, but even before I got into crypto, I was the guy that went like went two X long on AMD stock, like with one single concentrated bet. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm pretty tolerant to risk. Um, but I am aware that like, I am aware that the price targets that I keep on having to like, this is when I'm going to go into USD has gone up and up and up. Um, and so I, I am cognizant of this, uh, and then, um, I've never actually like meaningfully unwound. So like when ether goes up in price and I have more borrowing power, I generally have taken advantage of that. Now my, my ratio has always gone in my favor. Um, but still some very, some bad habits that I know can get catastrophic if I don't harness them and reverse them. But for, right, for where we are right now, I'm, I'm feel pretty good. Sounds a little bit like the federal reserve. In Congress, <laughs> always raising the debt ceiling. <laughs> We're never leaving. So uh, one of the reasons why I've been a little bit scared of leverage slash also a little bit scared of ever exiting my Bitcoin position is like this looming fear of like, when is the last cycle? When is right. like, mm -hmm. or at least not even last cycle, maybe there's a meaningful downturn, but like 
then like does the bottom catch a lot of sellers right because like maybe right. institutions take that opportunity to buy a big time and we never see like that 80 percent, and then we only see the 30 percent, and then it rips back up like who knows like i'm 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 scared that if i sell at any point that i might have less bitcoins in the future um and part of that kind of has to do with this financialization of bitcoin as an asset financialization hopefully you know in your hope of ether as an asset um, and kind of tags into what we're thinking, talking about later, which is Michael Saylor and his analogy is Bitcoin as a battery. But before we get into that, right, like, what's your view about Ether financialization, Bitcoin financialization? And like, how do you like think about that in terms of like, uh, you know, selling per se, right? Because like, I, I do think that mm-hmm. this time is meaningfully different. Like right. the NFT thing has way more mass appeal than the ICO thing. Right. Uh, Bitcoin as a store of value has way more mass appeal than um, than it did before. I was talking to uh, Andrew Steinwald on the podcast today, where he asked us a very similar question about like, you know, when 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 will this market turn over and go from bull to bear? And like, so long as the Federal Reserve can keep on printing money, like we can keep on going. And that's the whole like rationale behind this whole NFT mania, like, or not the whole rationale. NFT mania is legit in its own respects. Legit as a mania, I guess that's a weird thing to say. The point is like, the reason why it's a mania is because there's so much printing going on, right? So, so long as there's printing, like there's no reason why these things can't keep on going up. And I totally agree with you. This is, this cycle has been called like crypto's most mainstream cycle ever, which I guess makes sense because, you know, it has to always be the most mainstream cycle ever because it's always going to be more mainstream than the last one. But like at this point, you can only have one mainstream cycle because that's it. Like once you are mainstream, you're mainstream. There's no more after that. Like you are just mainstream now. Um, And COVID has accelerated the movement into a digital world. And I think the... I th- we're all getting, we're all circling around the same subject is, is the world ready for crypto? And if the answer is yes, then I'm totally with you in the sense that like any prolong any bear market will get bought up into just being a bear plateau instead of a bear market or something. Um, and so I am cognizant of that. And I do, I do feel fear that fear of saying like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm calling the top cashing out and then it like drops 30% and you're like, fuck yeah, I got it right. And then it climbs 30% and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, like, did I actually sell the top or not? And then you don't know what to do next. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very scared of that. And while that may sound like not practical, you know, it's not practical that Michael Saylor is doing what he's doing and buying this much Bitcoin, like every two weeks, he's dollar cost averaging with Michael, with MicroStrategy's money. And a lot of other companies are looking at him do it and like they've been to his his seminar and they've done all these things and like what like two weeks ago coindesk talked about uh a company that allocated to both btc and ETH, and they actually allocated more into ether which right. i found was was interesting and i'm just trying to say like in terms of like ever rotating out of your crypto position into dollars aka something that is known to be uh easily manipulatable uh, mm-hmm. and printable, like, why would you ever do that? I don't know. Right. Like, again, like, I'm, I'm just scared that there's never a right time to do it after this point. I don't know. Uh, on that note of the, uh, that company that wrote, that put ETH and BTC on their balance sheet, uh, it was a Japanese company, I think. Um, I think, I think that's right. 
Uh, and the Anthony Cezano had a good take on this is like when most people talk about like institutions putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, they're usually talking about just like companies in the S&P 500, but they're forgetting about all other co companies in the rest of the world. Like this is not just a S&P 500 uh, race or, or tug of war or musical chairs. This is a game of chicken that's global, right? Every single global company um, is in this, is in this like game of chicken, right? Not just the companies in the S and P 500. So that's way more capital out there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There's the fat tail and the long tail. And mm -hmm. honestly, the long tail has a better chance of, of adopting first. Like I think MicroStrategy is definitely a long tail tech company, right? But right. it used Bitcoin and crypto to really escalate itself in the, in the conversation a lot. Mm -hmm. Totally. And dude, Michael Saylor, like Ethereans will have opinions about him, but like for overall for this space, Michael Saylor, fucking saint, man, saint, absolute saint. Uh, like Ethereans are gonna be like, David, why the fuck are you promoting this Bitcoin or Maxi Bitcoin Maxi guy? Dude, he's promoting everything that we need this industry to be promoted about. Like the, the, the guy's a fucking hero. He's no, he's de-risking and legitimizing the entire space and everything, everything benefits from those tails, from those tailwinds. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Michael Saylor had this analogy and I, I believe in those seminars and in other places about Bitcoin as a battery. Um, maybe, maybe before we go into that conversation, can I ask you to try and like do your best to rehash whatever you remember about Michael Saylor making these comments or have you not consumed any of that content? I've I've consumed an okay amount of Michael Saylor content. It's really like honestly, I, I think the best one is "What Is Money" series, and Michael Saylor and Robert Breedlove do like mm -hmm. seven parts um, and go down the history of money, and they don't even talk about Bitcoin in most of it. But right. I highly recommend that. But um, on many occasions, Michael Saylor has. Uh, said that Bitcoin is the network that is dematerializing and harnessing monetary energy. And there's been monetary energy like throughout the analog sphere. And there, this, it like, just like Google, you know, became a search engine network and a website network. And just like uh, Apple created the, the strongest mobile network. And just like Facebook, um, dematerialized your social network and, 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 and made it, you know, kind of exist and be documented um, on the internet. He sees Bitcoin as dematerializing uh, the world's money and, and, and harnessing that monetary energy in a monetary network on the internet. Right. So I, I have this vision, this image of uh, who's the superhero evil guy the, with the glove that snaps his fingers and makes people like disappear and, and dissolves it just into the nothingness, whatever that metaphor it, is. And so it, it's, it's from Marvel. Uh, Marvel gosh, yeah. kill me for, for messing yeah, this up. I don't, I don't watch any of these movies. Anyways, Theranos, <laughs> Theranos or something. There, yes, that's Theranos. it. Thanos. Okay, Thanos, Thanos, Theranos. Theranos, <laughs> uh, so, Theranos is the is the, is the VC scam. scammer. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so so what Michael Saylor is is saying and other and other digital things is like it's being dematerial. It's being deleted from the physical world and being recreated in the digital world through these digital containers, vehicles, or batteries uh, for value, right? Um, and so my, my question to you is how do, if Bitcoin is a battery for money or battery, uh, a, a storehold of wealth, a battery of money, 
uh, how does one charge the battery? What what is what does the thing what is the thing that it? Because I, I have my answer, and so I can skip. I can answer the question, my own question, because I have my own answer for it. But I want to ask you, how do you charge the battery? Well, I, I don't know if I'm necessarily speaking for Sailor at all here. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like uh, the like Bitcoin is a battery as as a metaphor has been used to describe proof of work in mining and the ability to like plug like theoretically take stranded energy, mm-hmm. plug it into the internet and Bitcoin mines and and kind of un take that stranded energy, turn it into mined Bitcoin export elsewhere. So I've I've heard of that analogy as to like why Bitcoin's a battery and then okay, the energy of the universe that we can harness you know, it would be, you know, and put into the network would be um, how you charge the battery. Um, part of it also is buying it, right? So people buying the, ba- like buying UTXOs for other things and demanding it, like you're kind of like, what, filling the UTXO with energy. The only thing the UTXO is, is a, is a, is a uh, you know, a mark on the Bitcoin ledger, right? right. Uh, so uh, it's just about society putting value in it and the network of value, right? That is that or the network of, of, of data points or stakeholders that are putting value in it and kind of reinforcing that, that, you know, value chain. So, I mean, I don't like, I don't know if that makes sense at all, but that's how I would answer that question. So yeah, your second part of that answer, it was synony- completely synonymous with, with what my answer is. The way that you charge a monetary unit is by buying it, right? And when everyone buys the same monetary unit, all of a sudden that monetary unit has a lot of power inside of it. A lot of bad, it's a battery. It's like there, there's, there's one, t- one time my old soccer coach took, took me and some friends to watch a football game. And in order to like make a fool out of me, he paid me $20 to like sprint up and down the stairs, just like in front of like thousands of people who were watching this football game. And so I, I had to do like three laps up and down the stairs as fast as I could. And he paid me $20. I, I worked, I released energy so that I can get $20, right? Or I go to work, maybe this is a better metaphor. I go and go to work and do work for money. And so that the, the battery is the money and it allows work to be expressed in the world. To the, the first part of your answer, I think is the opposite of the answer. You don't charge the battery by expending energy. That's you discharging the battery. Miners are actually discharging the Bitcoin battery because they expend energy in proof of work and they have to sell Bitcoin to do that. And so if buying Bitcoin is charging the battery, selling Bitcoin is discharging the battery because you are doing work, you are doing proof of work. And so the whole, the whole idea of, of you charging the, the battery by expending work makes no sense. You're double dipping on, on a different metaphor and you're jumbling it up. I think the proof of work is actually the discharging of the monetary unit. And the monetary unit is charged by the $21 million hard cap. What's your take about that? Well, I mean, I was just bringing it up as like from the battery, battery metaphor perspective. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, I guess the, the proof of work thing has to do with like, it's, a, it's like a digital battery because otherwise, if you didn't store, you, there's no way to physically store that energy. So the best way to get some use out of it is to utilize it and store it in UTXOs. Mm, right. Uh, so, but I, I guess I understand what you're saying is like miners selling Bitcoins, uh, you know, which is very effective at distributing 
the supply, right? That's mm-hmm. one of the key features of uh, proof of work miners having real cost in which they have to actually sell coins for. But at the same time, there's been already talk about miners never selling at this point, because now that Bitcoin's become financialized enough that they can they can always just use the Bitcoin as collateral and then uh, mm. and then uh, pay their bills with uh, with fiat denominated bills and money that right. they borrow, just kind of like what you are doing with Ether and DeFi leverage, which also um, only works if the asset keeps going up in price. Yeah, well, and then the assumption is that all fiat-denominated liabilities will <laughs> lose value against the Bitcoin. Uh, so, I mean, if that's the case, then miners kind of stop selling. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, it's difficult to say, you know, maybe only institutionalized miners stop selling. May, you know, it's kind of difficult to say, like, how that playing field kind of develops. But uh, we're already kind of getting to a point where miners mine to hoard Bitcoins and they do whatever they can finance Riot blockchain, you know, they can do bond offerings, anything that's available to public companies right. to finance not selling any, Bitcoin. Any senior so, is possible. Any exactly possible. So I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I not I feel like I'm digressing a little bit. I, I like I, I I guess what I'm saying is I, I do agree that selling is antithetical to um the you know, recharging battery right. energy in terms of like value inside the ledger. Okay, so where this where this extends to is that does just generalized buying is that what monetizes an asset, right? Um, and this is I, Nick Carter wrote this in one of his pieces one time where um, you know a- anytime someone buys and holds something, they are actively monetizing the asset, right? And this goes back to the the OG twenty seventeen conversation that Bitcoiners were, would have, where they say hodlers are users. If you are holding, you are using, right? By definition. And so is it, is the, is it as simple as like the asset that is bought the most, the most money or the, or the asset that is bought the most and sold the least, the most moneyness because that battery is maximally charged. I think that's where that conversation naturally extends towards. I mean, are you just trying to like have a, a logical justification of proof of stake? Yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. That's that does that's where it extends to after that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the thing is, like I just don't think that you can take it. Uh, like it's just not one feature, right? It's not like okay, so you can have an illiquid asset that's not that's not uh, that you know is not sold at all and is only mm-hmm. bought by a select group of people um, that value it, and you know maybe that asset will continue to appreciate. Maybe you know no one gets access to it but i think for something to have money it has to kind of have like this magical mix of distribution um some sort of scarcity some sort of universal desire um like it's not just one thing right mm-hmm. and so if you have like this proof of stake system that effectively you know makes it so that every every ether that's used is being burnt um, maybe everyone that is running a staking node never needs to actually exit their position or sell and keeps, you know, kind of lowering the supply and not distributing the supply. Like that doesn't help with the monetary network side of things as far right. as I'm concerned. So that's where right. I'm kind of quite, like, it could be an asset that goes up in value a lot, but does that make that money? Does that make that the way that people think about denominating everything in the world? I don't know. Maybe that's what they denominate right. NFTs in right now. But mm-hmm. is that possible in a world where like, you know, either is not something that can be distributed well, or it's right. at least incentivized to 
be hoarded to some insane degree. I don't know. I mean, right. Bitcoin is hoarded in a world of fiat, but it's also not synthetically also going to like, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe financialization and miners never selling it does do. Right. Um, so you, you use that word synthetically where we are kind of implying that there's some of some sort of like optimization and tinkering, tinkering to make, to make this the case. Right. But I, I would also say that, that, uh, the hard cap is also the same thing. It's just very blunt and straightforward. Just, it's also synthetic. And, and I, again, citing Nick Carter, when we had him on the podcast, I talked, I talked to him, I asked him a question about engineered versus un, unengineered money. And, and he said, well, and, and I, I was saying that Bitcoin is unengineered money in the sense that it's bottom up adopted rather than rather than like socially engineered, which is what I would call fiat currencies. Bitcoin is unengineered because it's adopted from the bottom up. Right. But he goes, well, no, I think Bitcoin is, is extremely engineered. It's engineered for perfect scarcity. Right. And so two, it's the semantic difference, two sides of the same coin. Um, um, but I would say like to say that if Ether is uh, synthetically deriving its scarcity. I would also say Bitcoin is, has also done that. That's exactly what the hard cap is. Yeah. Well, and the hard cap is quote unquote synthetic scarcity. Um, but part of it has to do with like, there is no in correct inflation rate. So let's just do no inflation rate. Right. Like that I think was part of Satoshi's mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. express thinking. Um so, I mean, I, I feel like Ether is a little different. And I mean, part of it is under the guise of security of like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, we need to ensure the long-term security of this network. Um, and so therefore we need to ha maintain the ability to print when we need to print, right? That's, mm -hmm. you know, so again, sounds a lot like the Federal Reserve to me, but um, like that would be my personal qualm with like, and why I would call it synthetic because now it's like, okay, we need to change this monetary policy in order to achieve this sort of behavior and it, it doesn't have to do with like not having people tinker it's like about tinkering in order to get uh like a desired end result so i mean again like maybe synthetic is just like a a way to say like it's manufactured scarcity but then again like you would, could push back and say like okay well bitcoin is by by but like the reason it's better than gold is because it is synthetic right gold is 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 organic scarcity right through just natural things that happen in bitcoin, bitcoin is like nope 21 million that's it right, right. so you, you said that satoshi said that um there is no correct inflation schedule and that that like ethereum will mint what it needs to to secure itself and how that's like the fed the missing component here is that there's the uh, there's one more side of the equation that we've never unlocked before and this also kind of reminds me of Breedlove's uh bitcoin is zero where you know once you discover the number zero you also discovered negative numbers in the whole the whole range and you also discover infinity like the whole range well with ethereum like not only will it inflate the supply in order to maintain security but it will also deflate the supply in order to maintain security and it will inflate when it needs to inflate and it will deflate when it also can deflate. And if it can deflate, it will deflate. And so 
No, and then that is also built into the programming of the Ethereum protocol, which is very much not like the Fed, where they tend to only inflate because they are humans. But Ethereum is a protocol. And if it can capture excess transaction fees and save those for a rainy day, then it will. And maybe it can keep on capturing transaction fees and not only save them for a rainy day, because maybe that rainy day never comes because Ethereum is a global internet size economy with global buying pressure upon ETH asset to achieve some end on Ethereum. And so perhaps that rainy day never comes and it's only deflationary. And all of a sudden we go from sound money to ultrasound money. I mean, again, like that's, that's the story, right? I mean, that you can the say story. the same you could say the same thing about stocks and stock buybacks. Okay. Apple's only deflationary because they're only borrowing FIBA and buying back. Like that doesn't make it money. So, right. I mean, again, ether is, is more like Bitcoin than it is like, uh, Apple, but I don't know. I just like, you can, you can keep spinning the story in nice ways, but ultimately I will. I will it's a group this. of people. It's a group of people that are trying to organize to get some end, you know, and you can't really compare that to like, 21 million this is beyond any human's control this is beyond any even group of humans control in terms of changing 21 million or even changing perimeters around consensus so i mean like i, I just feel like it's a completely different ball game and that doesn't mean that ethereum won't find some sort of like massive appreciation plateau because of their ability to you know engineer game theory that you know, enables the system to keep creating value as well as destroy and burn tokens. Uh, but I mean, again, I don't think that that necessarily means it's going to outcompete Bitcoin. And I think the beauty of Bitcoin again is like, there is no right amount. There is no like, let's pump the bags of holders. Right. Like it's just like 21 million straight and simple. This is like, let's reprice the world based on like this, this clean cut measuring system. I don't think that really, um, that's a very gracious interpretation of what is going on with the Ethereum researchers, right? It's not like a bunch of people trying to pump the bags. I'm trying to pump the bags because I work in Ethereum's narrative layer, but the Ethereum researchers are working to secure the Ethereum protocol. And I think it really, we didn't really find this out as an ecosystem until very lately where uh, the security of the Ethereum protocol and the soundness of Ether, the asset, are actually the same thing. And this is, this is very core to what makes a good crypto economic system a good crypto economic system is you have the engine and you have the fuel and those are integrated systems and you can't optimize for just one. You can't optimize for just good fuel. You also have to optimize for a good engine. Um, and by proxy of the interest in optimizing for Ethereum's security so it can be a good host of economic activity, by proxy, you optimize for the soundness of, of Ether and therefore the value of Ether. And that as a shelling point, I think can be extremely compelling. And there's, I don't really think there's any sort of like, this is for the interest of a few group of people in a, in a, in a private Zoom room. This is just the interest of protecting the Zoom economy or the Ethereum economy. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, again, the, it, it sounds great, but, you know, I've heard lots of really smart people talk about optimizing tokenomics in order to have this beautiful aims. And guess what? It's it's mostly just, hey, insiders see opportunity to increase price and they're going to do it. And I mean, I don't know if that's moral or immoral or whatever, but to be honest, like, it's just not as good as 21 million. No one controls it in terms of being money. So, I mean... I, I don't know what to say. Like that, that's, that's my perspective. 
I don't think that ultrasound money, AKA whatever, some ledger that's designed to reduce units makes it better than a clean, hard 21 million ledger, like at being money. So, I mean, that's my ultimate objection to that. Right. Um, in terms of like branding it ultrasound money, like, okay, good luck. <laughs> it's like, it's well, not that good of a meme as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I disagree with that. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but, but I would say it's like, well, yeah, at some point these are just going to be different things, right? Like these are going to produce different outcomes and yes, it's not a hard cut 21 million. It's not simple like that. It's more complicated, but what is that difference beneficial or for the market cap or is it not beneficial for the market cap? I think is the real question. I think yeah, so I'm what not, is having humans involved tinkering with the pl- supply schedule good or bad for the market that, cap? Because <laughs> that, that's just only what it takes to get the system up and running. And then ossification can come later. You, you have to also integrate the possibility that L1's blockchains ossify over time. We know this. This is how blockchains work. And Ethereum has the option to ossify when it needs to at the time it needs to, which is not yet because we have not, we have not implemented uh, the ETH1 chain into the ETH2 chain and then implemented EIP1559. Why would we, why would we ossify before that? It's the right order of operation. So first we implement these two things and then we implement the office of ossification because the office ossification comes last. Also, Ether, it's ultrasound money, is the best meme in crypto. It's at least the top three memes in crypto, if not number one. No, it's garbage. It's, um, it's the best meme the, in crypto. Again, because like, so when the monetary supply, when what the asset is, is defined by the narrative rather than it actually rubbing up against people and people figuring out what the narrative is, then, you know, when you lose the narrative, all of a sudden you realize that your network is attackable. So uh, I think this, like when you, you're losing soundness, because like you're calling Ethereum ultrasound money because, okay, it's going to reduce supply, right? It's going to reduce units on the ledger, but you're really missing out on like, okay, what else makes it sound, right? Is it the fact that there's this massive networks of nodes that ensure that uh, the yes. network can't Proof be changed? Yes. Like, got it. Again, like okay, that doesn't exist yet. Okay. okay. And how are you going to get there? Well, what will ETH price be you're when we do get going there? To Byzantine attack the the proof of work chain in order to get there no you you you're missing the point here is that the, the network the val- the network that's holding the value isn't even the network that you're prophesizing about yet right right yes so right, like when i make content i want it to be everlasting <laughs> or or have no staying power whatsoever because you're talking right. about something that doesn't that doesn't exist yet sure okay so if that's the main criticism of this, that's completely fine. I'm okay with that. No, again, what I'm trying to say is that the, the difference is that you're measuring soundness on one axiom when there's right. many axioms of soundness. Right. And one of those axioms of soundness is unfuckable. And right. you're saying we will be unfuckable at some point in the future after right. we do these things that we want to fuck with the system on, yes. right? So that, totally- that is, that those are terrible assurances that take away from the soundness of your thing that is reducing units systematically eventually. But the solution for that is time, right? And so if my version of the universe is correct, in 2050, Bitcoin will have... 10 more years worth of Lindy attached to it than ETH2 will. Maybe it'll be 12 or something. Uh, and that'll be a ratio of like 
it'll, Bitcoin will have 50 years of Lindy and Ethereum will have 38 years of Lindy. Like it's going to work. It's going to be okay. And how, and, and how many years of unfuckwithability and like ossification of those the consensus numbers. Like, layers? Something roughly yeah. around those numbers. At some point, people I mean, won't we, care. How do we know? Because, like, well, we're I, only and, going to have to wait. But the thing is, like when we started this podcast, proof of stake wasn't shipped and EIP-1559 wasn't even a thing. Proof of stake is live. People forget that. People, proof of stake is a real thing. It's securing a real network. And it's a different network than the network yes. that is Ethereum right now. And Bitcoiners, since the genesis of, of Ethereum, has always been like, they're never going to get there. And, every, and we're slowly marching them back every step of the way. I mean, I... I'm very doubtful that. Uh, Do you think Ethereum that will... lowering supply makes something sound money? Do you th- Do you think that Ethereum won't ever get to sharded proof of stake, with n- with no proof of work issuance? I mean, I don't even understand why you want to get rid of proof of work. So we can reduce issuance. I mean, it, again, like. We're going to, it's just like this, this circular argument, like, Hey, proof of work is not good enough because it's distributing too many coins. We need to reduce issuance, Mm -hmm. but also proof of work is bad for the environment. So that's also another reason why we need to do it, but also it's going to help us democratize access to Ethereum, but also it's going to reduce the amount of coins that are in circulation. Hey, and guess what? It's going to also make our system better if we burn coins when they're used because that is going to reduce issuance even more. Like these are like these weird circular, um, they make complete know, sense theories. Me. I mean, again, you're drinking the Kool-Aid really hard, but like, I don't necessarily <laughs> see how, I don't necessarily see how like all of these Girl, like, little tank Kool-Aid. I got a big Kool-Aid tub right here. I know, man, you're getting drunk <laughs> off it. This is why they call you ETH heads is right, that you're yeah, like, you, you've been, you've been, even hopped up on the ETH real hard. Um, um, again, like it's just I, I don't I don't believe in the group of people to to tinker with mm-hmm. the parameters of this thing to improve the tokenomics so that way it outcompetes Bitcoin with proof of work. It's just, like I just don't think that that's going to happen. Like proof of work, uncensorability, no changing the consensus rules, pro- and then like. 21 million like that is the formula to winning compromise bitcoin security is compromised bitcoin won't last longer than 60 years explain the proof proof of my shit coin because bitcoin's broken proof of work with zero issuance does not work Proof, proof of work is inherently expensive and if you don't have any issuance to fund that Transaction fees will never be enough because of how in, in, in expensive proof of work is. Proof of, proof of work is a gas guzzler, and you're asking it to guzzle the gas of, of something that you can't issue. Like Bitcoin has optimized for short-term security and long-term, by that, by that definition, long-term unsustainability and unpredictability in security, whereas Ethereum is doing the opposite. Ethereum's like, I don't know where the fuck we're going to be at tomorrow. But I do know I mean, in 50 years. I, I would argue very. 
so it, it's, it's kind of funny to me that security for you has to do with like, we need to make the, we need to mess with the numbers in order to make sure that everyone can keep kind of coordinating. Whereas the way that Bitcoiner, like Bitcoiners think of security is like, right. we need to keep all the variables is like consistent right. as possible. So everyone knows what the shelling point is. And when it comes to like, will Bitcoin survive uh, the halvings that kind of go all the way until a hundred and, uh, you know, 140. Um, first and foremost, you have to recognize that proof of work and then the largest network that utilizes proof of work in particular unlocks energy or profit opportunities for energy producers that do not exist. So if you think about like what that means is that the earth itself is literally funding Bitcoin mining, right? Because as long as there's trapped gas, that is accessible via human infrastructure and internet infrastructure, that gas can be monetized. Mm -hmm. So even if there's no block reward, any sort of Bitcoin that enables the capture and monetization of that gas is going to be worth it, right? Because they're already, it, it, it's taking a negative, something that was not monetizable and making it monetizable. So that's also the same with energy production facilities. So do you get, do you deal with your energy bill in Seattle? Uh, Hunter pays it, but. Okay. Well, if you look at the energy bill, they right. try to encourage you to not use electricity during peak hours right. by increasing the amount that it costs during peak hours. And they say, Hey, if you're going to run your AC or uh, run the heater, do it in the middle of the day during non-peak hours, because we have a lot of abundant electricity. We have a lot of abundant. Yeah. So we have a lot of abundant electricity and that's why, um, we are going to um, encourage you to uh, spend during or run your electricity during that time. Um, so again, the reason why they want you to do that is because they have to produce electricity at right. peak the whole time, mm -hmm. right? So for those, those energy, uh, those energy producing facilities, they have all of this energy that they have to produce all the time to meet peak hours in the morning and the day, and they have nothing to do with it. Guess what they're going to do with the electricity? They're going to make sound money with it. That is efficient. That is turning a resource that was uncapturable, like literally physically uncapturable because you couldn't physically ship it and you no one physically needed it. So they're turning it into an asset. So, I mean, if you look at the way that proof of work fits into how the world works, it fits in extremely well. So I find it very, very hard to be like, okay, in a world where, guess what, Bitcoin hit 60K after the halving and miners have never made more money ever that, oh, and guess what, Bitcoin is not sustainable. It doesn't fit into um, any sort of long-term infrastructure play. Like that narrative just doesn't stick to me. Like, guess what? Every energy producing facility in the entire world is going to be a Bitcoin miner. Like Bitcoin mining is not only set up to thrive, but it's it's set up to literally completely dominate kilowatts. Kilowatts will be priced in sats because every energy facility will need the will need the grid balancing that proof being able to turn on electricity consumption, turn off electricity consumption that Bitcoin provides. So like when you understand that you know how the how the the infrastructure works where proof of work fits into that. And then I hear you who understands those things too say, oh, it's unsustainable because we need to be able to tinker with the monetary policy in order to maintain its sustainability. 
I just laugh. It's just laughable. It's like you are going to get completely blindsided. You sound exactly <laughs> like the Fed. So I'm compelled by that energy argument. But if you don't think that that it sounds exactly, if not 10 times more than, than whatever Kool-Aid I was just trying to spin up, saying that like Bitcoin is going to fund itself out of the energies of the earth, that is, that's the same thing. That's equally as Kool-Aidable. So can you, can you point to actual examples of Ethereum instrumentalizing ultrasound moneyness that are real today? What do you mean? Because I can point to real areas where Bitcoin mining is unlocking profit opportunities for energy producers and stranded people who own stranded energy sure. assets today. Right. Those are real things that exist today. So, I mean, what's more Kool-Aid? One is observing reality. One is saying in the future when this thing exists, it's going to work like this because I am an economist, computer scientist. Well, okay, I, I, you you cut you, you cut out at the end there, but I think you're trying to ask me to draw the same comparisons to progress in the in the ETH world, right? Well, I mean, we have or, or something to specifically back up your economic theory around right. you know, proof of work, proof of stake issuance, uh, in, inherent faults in proof of work, those kind of things. Right. Um, so the the whole ultrasound, well. The whole thesis behind proof of work is proof of work is inefficient is is that there's perpetual buying pressure to pay for the overhead of the cost of mining Bitcoin, right? Um, and and there's if you perpetual if, selling pressure, pressure per, right? Perpetual selling pressure, right? And like if you do also think of a of a world like that where Bitcoin, where energy facilities can can just not have to sell any of their Bitcoin because they are producing energy, well, that's no worse than proof of stake. Because that's the same. That's the same complaint. Because the, the people then therefore don't have any costs. What you're saying is that the the energy operators or the Bitcoin miner operators don't have to sell any Bitcoin because they figured out they they hacked the planet. They figured it out. Uh, well, so I don't understand why well, you're. No, they they need to use financial engineering. They need to put down their Bitcoin as collateral in order to not sell their Bitcoin. Right, and that's what you have to do with proof of stake. You literally put up your stake as collateral. And then, then, and then you secure them. Yeah, but, 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 yeah, but the collateral and like the act of staking is what it create, you know, what allows a pending to the blockchain. Whereas with proof right. of work is you have to burn electricity right. to append to the network, to, to the blockchain. So that's a key structural difference. I don't think it's all that different. Yeah. Proof of work is just more useful to uh, energy producers, whereas proof of stake is useless for them. Yes. Yes, it's useless for that that party. Yes, it doesn't it doesn't work yeah. for that party. It's consensus with less with less utility. Right. Yes. Um, the other thing I would so, say, which is why proof of work is better, and again, is why it even as the subsidy decreases, subsidy decreased uh, last April, but miners mm -hmm. are getting paid more nominally in U.S. dollar terms. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is going to continue to. We're see, in, we're, uh, in, we're <laughs> in the first twelve years of Bitcoin's lifespan when it when it has that energy reserve the most right like it still has plenty of bitcoin to issue again in monetary terms because it keeps on going up but like of course of course it's going to work out in the first three happenings i'm not talking about the first three happenings i'm talking about the 10th happening or the 15th happening or something mm -hmm. along those lines so i have a question hmm. do you know what percentage of the world's value bitcoin network issue issues every single block i don't know Okay, well, it's less than 0.01% of the world's value. 
you right. because currently less than 0.01% of the world's value is stored in Bitcoin. Ah, uh, yes. Is this the BTC is going to pump forever Kool-Aid? Is that what the Kool-Aid no, is drink? No, but no, no, but that here, like you're saying that Bitcoin's block award is going down, but Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. if Bitcoin, in, 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 if Bitcoin, yes. yep. if Bitcoin mm-hmm. stores five percent of the world's value, and its mm-hmm. block reward, let's say, decreases four x, it meter, goes to zero. Isn't that, isn't that mean that each block is actually minting a larger percentage of the world's of the world's value? Yes, in the earliest in the time in the in the earliest part of its lifespan, when it obviously would do that. I mean, Bitcoin's block awards decreases linearly, but its price appreciation opportunity can increase exponentially. So, I mean, it, again, like, I'm just trying to understand. I'm just trying to understand. <laughs> if like, it wasn't increasing you know, exponentially, we wouldn't be talking about it. It wouldn't I be mean, Bitcoin. Yeah, totally. But like, I just don't understand why you think that it's miners aren't going to get paid because like the thing that they're getting, like they're going extra long Bitcoin. All the I've time. never said that miners aren't going to get paid. And like, if we start, if we denominate, and this is why we had this, we had this big commu- miscommunication with Dan Hell that we couldn't get around, where I titled that POV, that old POV crypto podcast episode, Is Bitcoin Safe from Itself? But you and Dan kept on saying that the block reward in real value terms keeps on going up. That's not the problem. It's the block rewards in relation to the size of the Bitcoin economy. That's the issue. It's not about Bitcoin versus the value of the rest of the world. It's about Bitcoin versus the size of its own weight. That's what you have to protect against. Uh, I, I disagree because that there's a clear separation between the value of the network and then the infrastructure and the network that's, uh, that's securing it. And while they are correlated right as the value goes as the network increases value hash rate comes on once that hash rate is on it's it like it's hard to take it off and when that hash rate is used to being funded by a very very small block reward and uh whatever the fee structure is and it's getting its energy from almost zero if not negative cost electricity then you know all of a sudden you uh, you have a very very anti-fragile network that is less susceptible to whatever is going on top of it i think i think we might have to wrap this up because your internet really sucks and i think we've exhausted All right. this i mean it's it's just a bunch of uh bitcoin and ethereum enthusiasts here talking about mm-hmm. stuff they really don't understand so i think i think when you, you need to listen to the uh, ultrasound money podcast that comes out a week from today on the bankless podcast I mean, I listened to the one with uh, maybe it was not ultrasound money, but it was with Justin Drake, and yeah, this is, uh, wasn't this is, quite convinced. This is the other half. So, crypto economics. That was crypto. This is economics. So, there's yeah. two, Wait, two parts. Justin Drake, round two. Oh, so okay. So more, more Justin Drake. More Justin gotcha. Drake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't super impressed with his knowledge of Bitcoin. I'm. I'm. That makes complete sense. All right. Well, uh, look forward to listening to it. Uh, what did you think of the Nozomi Hayes Bitcoin Magazine podcast? Oh, yeah, she was great. There was a lot of parallels that when she was talking about Bitcoin to what I talk about with NFTs, about how NFTs are a tool for disintermediating the emotional relationships that people have with each other. Uh, and I think the big takeaway I got was that like between technology and money, technology and money mediate everything about humans at all ever, everything. 
the whole the whole relationship of the of humanity is mediated by technology and money and when you can revolutionize those things you re revolutionize the relationships that we have with our, with each other which means you can revolutionize culture i think that's pretty cool yeah no absolutely i mean culture is kind of like a, a way of instantiating um experience which is kind of built on top of itself and money is a form of communication for expressing that more clearly uh so i.e bitcoin better communication i'm excited clear, for the, the improved communication i would say the improved communication of 21 million, which I, I can't see how uh, some undefined lowering ether supply cap is better than um, making <laughs> I don't know if that necessarily makes uh, what makes something sound though. You can do, you'll be able to see that in real time. We're about to experience it. Oh yeah, all right. Well, uh, man, Bitcoin's slipping here. Yeah, 60K was a- uh, We need to get out of this podcast because we're, we're clearly dumping the price right now. <laughs> Man, I should have sacked later in the day. Um, yeah, you guys can find me at CK underscore Snarks as well as at Bitcoin Magazine and on the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. David? You can find me at Trustless Day both on Twitter and on Bankless. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Oh, oh.